0: To All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, AKA the Cancer Guy. Hello, hello, hello. This is Kenny Perkins, AKA your Cancer Guy. And today we have another phenomenal guest. I know I say it all the time, just say it because I mean it. And this time we're traveling from the East Coast, right? We have a gentleman here who came from Baltimore. But now he's in Los Angeles. He's here on the West Coast. So it's like a transplant, but it's okay. We love him. He said he's been here 14 years, killing it, making people laugh. And gosh, we need need more laughter in our lives, don't we? Life is sometimes so serious. And so when we meet people like our next guest, it's a blessing. It's a blessing that we can come in and sometimes just put life on pause and allow people to entertain us. So without further ado... Let me introduce our next guest. We're talking about my man, Alex Hooper. Hello, everybody. What a thrill to be here. (laughs) Alex, man, thank you so much for joining us here on All Talk Oncology, my friend. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I mean, actually, I'm not
1: glad to be here. I wish I didn't have to come on this podcast at all. But the fact is, I have a story to tell, so might as
0: well get it out of me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know... As we talk about, I mean, we talk about it all here, and hence the name. And so, you know, let's jump right into it. You know, I say, what was life like for Alex? You know, you are a stand-up comedian. Is that, is that correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah, I've been doing stand-up comedy for 14 years, living in Los Angeles, but I tour all over the country, been all over the world, and... You know, uh, things were going really, really well. I got married this past April. Uh, My wife and I, we've been together since college, but we finally tied the knot down in Puerto Vallarta. And I was doing great, Uh, traveling all over, had lots of opportunities. And then, boom, here comes cancer, everybody.
0: (laughs) Right? It's just you never know. You never know. That thing is just always lurking and it doesn't discriminate. No,
1: it's just in there. Yeah, it's it's marinating inside, just waiting for the perfect opportunity, like a dormant volcano that just suddenly erupts and leaves everybody running for their lives.
0: So crazy. Yeah. You know, well, congratulations, one on the matrimony right
1: congratulations for the cancer like, that's a weird you know, send me a cake next time kenny uh, yeah no on the matrimony thank you very much yes my wife and i are very happy
0: together yes hey that's it's always a blessing man especially when you guys uh um, being college sweethearts you know that's awesome yeah yeah it's it's, it's a cute little story yeah you know, so Alex, here you are, you're out here in Los Angeles and you, you're killing it. You know, you're making people laugh, enjoying your life. You're newlywed and, you know, all of a sudden something like this happens. Talk to us about what you were doing prior to the diagnosis.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we had just gotten married and I had been touring a bunch, uh, getting ready to get, to get a new, uh, special together. And I was working a lot of music festivals, uh, where I bring comedy to these festivals. And right after our wedding, we did two of them pretty close together. And at the second one, I just wasn't feeling myself. And I, was really down I was really tired and then my neck just started to grow these weird kind of bulbous bulges right in here and my neck literally just kind of merged like started like going outwards like this and my torque and my neck became almost one like a cankle is when your calf and your ankle are not separated I had a torque my torque so became my neck and people were looking at me like whoa are you working out a lot look like, what's going on with you and I was like no i think something is going wrong here sure enough i went to my uh pcp and she looked right at me and said this might be lymphoma and started me down the path of going to specialists and getting blood work biopsies pts pts pet scans ct scans uh, a bone marrow biopsy which oh man That's the weirdest pain I've ever felt in my entire life. You know, they use lidocaine to numb your hip when they go in from you, but you can't numb bones. And you know a procedure is going to be painful if there are four people in the room and two of them are there only to hold you down. And man, it was such, such a bizarre form of pain. But took three months of testing and then basically what my PCP assumed all along turned out lymphoma was correct. Stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. And yeah, you know, I was 37 years old and suddenly cancer is right in my face. And what are you going to do other than deal with it?
0: Yeah. Oh, my God, man. That's that's quite the story, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, a really good first year of marriage, you know, that's exactly what you asked for, is to just, you know, you're on a beautiful beach in Puerto Vallarta surrounded by 60 of your closest friends and family, and then two months later, they're like, ooh, actually, pull back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I tell you, Playa is a beautiful place, but yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to remember that for sure, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, what, what happens is like, I mean, it's crazy that we've been together since college. We finally decide to do the thing and get married. And as soon as I get married, boom. So to every like single dude in a backwards hat that was like, marriage is death, bro. I don't know why you're doing it. Point taken. Yeah. I now see why you were telling
0: me that. Sheesh. And so here you go. Right. I mean, Alex, I mean, it goes down that spiral right now it was test after test. It's kind of trying to figure out you're trying to stage this thing and kind of get an idea of where you stand and how you're going to attack. Are you going to attack this? Right. So, you know, what what ended up being the diagnosis and then at what stage? So yeah, I mean honestly the testing was the worst part. I was
1: feeling anxiety, depression, just these constant doctor visits without anyone being able to give me a definitive answer. It just sends your head into a into a spiral. And finally it was either stage 4 head and neck cancer, which I was like, okay, we'll just uh, pay the tab on this life cuz that one's bad, or stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is what it turned out being and it had already spread uh it wasn't stage four because it wasn't in my bones but it was stage three because it had spread from my neck down to my pelvis and they found it in the uh pet scans they found it all over my head my my neck my torso and then also in my pelvis so basically, the doctor said, here's what we do. Uh, it's going to be 12 rounds of chemotherapy, a therapy called ABVD uh, chemotherapy. Uh, and that's all we're going to do for now. And they did install a port a They scheduled me for a surgery to put a port into my chest so I wouldn't have to wear a pick line for six full months because it was a long-term treatment, six months of getting chemo. Yeah. And so they installed a port in me. And then I started doing chemotherapy in mid to late September of 2022.
0: Wow. I mean, you're talking about trying to get yourself prepared. I mean, there's, it's kind of hard to get prepared for something like that. Six months.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Talk about that, Alex. I mean, you know, so here you get this news. I mean, how do you and your wife handle that? I mean, when, so- when someone tells you, yeah, stage three, You're going to have six months of chemo. Like, how do you prepare that mentally? Like, that's the part a lot of the listeners want to know. How do you put yourself in a frame of mind to move like that?
1: You know a lot of it is I'm a very positive person. People know me for just being very joyful and having fun all the time. And I basically had to tell myself to surrender to this diagnosis. Is there's nothing I can do right now. I can't suddenly make magically make it go away. I need to I can't I'm not going to be able to tour right now. So, I'm going to be in LA for 6 months and my response I thought about how I was going to tell people the one thing I didn't want was for me to start getting sickly and then people noticing it. And then people asking me like, Hey, are you okay, man? What's going on with you? So I immediately, because I am somewhat of a public figure, I made a YouTube video basically announcing that I had cancer and telling people to not treat me any differently, that to not, I'm not a fragile person. You don't need to be treat me any different, any way that you already haven't. And I told people to, you know, reach out if they want to, I'll be responsive, but also to make fun of me give me shit like because that's like roasting is one of my love languages if you're thinking about me and you look at me and you have a good quip by all means hit me with it and i didn't want people to tiptoe around me i think the worst part one of the worst parts about a cancer diagnosis is just people don't know how to react around you anymore and a lot of times you get this question people like hey how are you feeling and It can be a little condescending. You know, they they have their heart in the right place. But I always tell people, hey, if I'm out, like if we're having dinner together, if we're hanging out in the park, if I'm doing a show, whatever it may be, I'm good. If you don't see me for weeks at a time, then you can start to worry and ask me how I'm feeling.
0: (laughs) You know, I, I love your approach, right? I mean, that's a great way to say, hey, I'm going to make this announcement via YouTube, everyone kind of gets that whole shout out. It's not something you have to re-explain over and over again. And so I like your approach. I see what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, it's taking charge of the situation and getting in front of it because
1: I really thought about not telling anybody, but then I did worry if my health did start to decline, how then I would approach that subject. And so I just thought, You know what? I'm very transparent, very open. I don't mind being showing vulnerability. So let me just tell the world what's going on. And then I'm so glad I did because the instant level of support and love that I received was incredible. And it lifted me up and let me know that I have so many reasons to get through this diagnosis and that I will get through it. So it just really was a matter of me taking control of a situation that I, that otherwise I wasn't in control of. I, you know, cancer just happens and it's all about how you react. But I knew... From the get go, my mental attitude and my is going to be what carries me through this, even during the worst times, allow people to help allow people to come in and do favors for you and, you know, answer the phone calls when you're ready to talk all of that stuff, but. I'm not a person who's great at asking for help. That's part of being a stand-up comedian is I know how to collaborate and I know how to like, but asking for help, this is a solo sport. I'm usually traveling by myself. I'm doing shows by myself. I don't have anyone else to rely on. So with cancer, I had to go, well, this is not going to be a solo activity. I need to allow people to come in and help if they are willing to do that. And a lot of people were, I was very fortunate.
0: You know, Alex, you really touched on something that a lot of people struggle with, and that that is asking for help. You know, a lot of times, right, Alex? It's like, where does the support team come from? You hear people having a support team, but you didn't need one prior to being diagnosed, right? But now you have this situation, and and it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm needy. And I think I think sometimes we do that. We kind of judge that. Oh my God, I'm needy, and I I need someone. No. I mean, you're going through something tragic and a lot of times people want to show up for you. People want to be there. So for you to talk about having a support team and having people show up for you, what was that like? Inspiring.
1: inspiring. Um, you know, one of my friends told me very early on, if people say if you're going to get this a lot when you have a cancer diagnosis and the world knows about it, they're going to go, if there's anything I can do, please let me know. Everyone's going to say that. And one of my friends told me they mean it. If they tell you that find a menial task for them to do. Maybe it's, hey, can you, do you mind researching hotels in Santa Barbara for me for these dates? I'm trying to just get away for a weekend. And people will be like, oh, sure, I'll do that for you. Hey, can you go pick up some dog food? Maybe like I didn't have a chance to get it today I'm, I'm going to run out in a couple of days. Sure. Somebody would love to do a very simple task for you. And if you give them that opportunity, it also allows them to feel fulfilled and know that they did help you in some way. You know, my wife was with me every step of the way. She wanted to be at every single appointment, every infusion treatment, everything. But I had a lot of people that were like, hey, if she ever gets tired of doing that stuff, please reach out to me and I will do it. And she was there. So I didn't have to rely on friends for that many things, but just to go get dinner with somebody or just to, you know, hang out at the beach for a day, whatever it may be that I could spend time with people that do fill my cup, I knew that was going to be the best move going forward. I had to continue living my life. Cancer, like just because it was inside of me, doesn't mean I can't be the same person that I was, even if I am a little more limited in what I'm able to do at this moment. But luckily for me, I mean, I was thriving through chemotherapy. I had almost no side effects whatsoever for the first few.
0: I love to hear that, you know. Sometimes because chemo can, it can kick your butt sometimes. And you hear, you hear those stories, how chemo wipes you out and you just don't have any energy and, you know, you're down for the count. So to know that you were able to get through that and have no complications, that's, that's awesome. What?
1: hang on a second kenny i mean no-,
0: <laughs>
1: no i mean unfortunately everything in my world fell completely to shit because uh about a month and a half two months after my port was uh my port was in it was off after my fourth treatment i started to get very delirious very tired i was really out of it and i uh ended up one night taking a nap I was so out of it I walk out of my bedroom my wife's on the couch watching TV I walk into our kitchen and just start peeing all over the kitchen she realizes something is wrong and I was like oh I'm sorry I don't mean to do that then I walked into her office and continued peeing all over her office at this point she's terrified she calls a couple of our very close friends they rush over I didn't know my own name. I didn't know what year it was. And when I got taken to the emergency room, what we eventually found out is that, are you ready? Because there's a series of big words coming, everybody. My Scorticath got infected, which then traveled over to my heart, causing a one centimeter vegetation, which then moved up to my brain, causing multiple embolisms, which then caused me to have sepsis. So, when that whole day, when I felt delirious and leading up to it, essentially I was having a long term series of strokes all at the same time. And if we didn't, if I had been taken to the hospital when I was hours later I would have been gone you know within a few hours I didn't realize how serious sepsis is it still kills one out of five people today even with modern medicine and that's a terrifying thought to know just how close I was but I mean you're talking complications that ended up I was in the hospital for 33 straight days. The first two and a half weeks, I couldn't even get out of bed. I was in so much pain. My body swelled up from edema. I gained 25 pounds of just pure water weight and my muscles started attritioning to the point where I had no strength whatsoever. So anything, even just to roll over, I would have to get a team of doctors and nurses to help me roll over just so they could give me a shot or whatever. And because of the infection, we had to stop chemotherapy Altogether. I was being seen by like seven specialists every single day. They would just come in a line. Like I'd start the day with blood work and then infectious disease specialist and a lung specialist and a heart specialist, my oncologist. And it just kept going, going, going. And I mean, that was a very hard time for me. Uh, my my mom flew out from Maryland to be with me for the first week. My wife was there every day. Friends visited, but I was out of it i was not i couldn't even read a book i could barely watch tv because i couldn't focus on anything and so to just lay in a hospital all day to not see the sun for 33 days was just a disaster for my entire immune system and my mental health and again this is we're asking for help Is everything because I'm lucky to have a large group of friends and a wonderful family who all came out and spent time with me. They just sat there. Even if I couldn't answer questions, they would just sit there next to me and having their presence at all was so uplifting because the cancer sucked. Obviously, that's not what I wanted. But sepsis was the absolute worst. And everyone assumed that I was in the hospital because of the cancer. But really, it was a byproduct of the surgery to install the port. And all of that happened. The road back was so difficult. Because like, I mean, when I started doing physical therapy, the first time I tried to get out of my hospital bed, it had been two and a half weeks since I had been moved. I literally could not get to the ground. I couldn't move, but lift my, put my feet down to put any weight on them. The second physical therapy session, I was able to stand, but I couldn't walk. And you start taking these very little movements and the physical therapist, it's a little condescending, but they're like, you're doing great, man. Keep going. Take that step. Yeah. And you're just like, I was playing tennis for three hours a day before all of this i'm a i I balance on a slack line i walk tight ropes like i'm walking two steps right now i don't need you to clap for me but i get why they do it and you know i knew i would be motivated to get myself back to where i was i never thought i would be in the hospital that long
0: yeah i tell you i mean 33 days i mean people don't understand that mental health how important that is and you're you're trying to get yourself in a in a good place to deal with cancer, and yet something like this on top of that happens. So, man, I I tell you what a what a strong individual you are, and talk about mental toughness, man yeah i mean the thing is i will say this i was in an east hollywood hospital where
1: homeless people go to scream it is a very loud environment my whole approach is i always try to show kindness and love toward everybody i made sure that anytime a nurse walked into my room i was grateful to them i was kind i let them know how appreciative i was that they were doing this work when a stranger in their 20s is wiping your ass you better say thank you you know and I just was like, I'm sorry, you have to do this. And they're like, it's my job. And I would try to make them laugh a little joke here and there. But it was tough because I just felt even though I had my wife and my family, I just felt so alone and so handicapped from the life that I normally live. And it was just like I had to relearn how to love myself in this situation because everything just hurt so bad that it was hard to focus on anything else in that period. But I will say, if you are ever going through something, the nurses are angels. They are saints. That is one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. They are have no reason to give you kindness and love other than the fact that it's in their heart to do so. So yeah. Shout out to every nurse and doctor out there that has good bedside manner. <laughs>
0: You know, Alex, you touch on some very strong points, you know, and when you're going through something like you you just described and you say, man, I had to learn to love myself. Like, where do you go to dig for that? And then how do you get yourself out of that? Right. Because you're not alone in that feeling. Right, Alex? I mean, someone's feeling at their lowest and they want to know, how do I get out of this pit? You know, what is it that you do, Alex, that you did that that made you say, man, I need to love myself. And so I'm going to do whatever that was.
1: I preach positivity all the time because I grew up hating myself for the first 22 years of my life i hated myself i hated the world i tried to bring everyone down with me and little by little things started to change and i got a lot of tricks out of it i mean i'm a person i've written a self-help book i have a self-help book out there called roast yourself to happiness where i teach you how to make fun of yourself to take away the judgments you feel from other people and it's a very freeing experience and i was like wait a minute i can't hate myself if I'm the guy who preaches to go deep inside and find the things that make you happy and illuminate yourself, let your beacon shine with that light as hard as you can on yourself and others. And so I had to tell myself, this is temporary. This is not forever. I know I can get out of this. I just need to think and do the work every single day. And if I start feeling that negativity weigh on me, then call a friend. Talk to my wife about it. Be honest about it. I signed up for therapy, which finally, I mean, when I got diagnosed, I signed up for talk therapy. It is very difficult to get a therapist post, like during a pandemic. And I, it took three and a half months before I even had my initial consultation with a therapist. And when I first had to do it, I was in the hospital. And that's the first thing this person said to me. They're like, are you in a hospital? And I was like, yes, I need therapy, right Fucking now, dude, <laughs> I need to get my head on straight. I I'm in a bad situation. So I was so out of it for so much of that time that there were a couple times when I was like, I'm done. I don't need this anymore. This is a, way too painful. I've lived an awesome life thus far. Just pay the check. And I allow myself to feel that. I think it's very important to not avoid feeling those types of things if it's in you and that's what you're feeling then by all means emote like let yourself have that time be angry be sad whatever you need but then also realize that it is temporary and that with a lot of hard work and a lot of belief and faith you can get through this thing it doesn't matter and i don't mean faith it's not about religion whatever religion you are if that works for you that's great i just need you need to believe in in yourself that you are meant for more in this existence and that you will have more opportunities to prove that to yourself and everyone else around you. So It was just, I allowed myself to cry when I needed to. A couple of times I did get angry, but when I get angry in that situation, like literally a nurse would walk in, she'd be like, how are you feeling? I was like, honestly, you need to leave. I can't do it right now. I do not want to be mad at you. Please just go. And they would be like, okay, point taken, because they understood that that's not genuinely, generally how I acted. So they were like, okay, something's going on today. We're going to let him have it. That's it, but also, you know you're eating the worst food like okay. and there's there's very difficult to find happiness when you're just eating the same powdered mashed potatoes every single day, and I was also like I'd never felt my body like that, where just to lift an arm that much was extremely painful, and I just had to know that like I'm meant for more
0: than this. This is not the end of my story, yeah. I love that. I love that. And I I love the way you explain that and how it takes work. It takes work to get yourself out of that. And so anyone that's listening, you know, if you heard Alex, he dropped some gems. He talked to you about he went to find a therapist, someone to talk to, to get these feelings out. And that's one of the reasons why I became a cancer coach is that if you need help along the journey, You have someone there that understands what cancer is about and at least can assist you with some of those feelings that you're dealing with. Another reason why we created our program um, that allows you to to be guided along your cancer journey. So you can always look that up at yourcancerguide.com. Alex is dropping gems and helping you to appreciate self-love is important, but you have to do the work to get there. Feel what you're feeling. If you heard him say that, feel it. Allow yourself to be sad if that's the case, but don't stay there. And so, Alex, thank you so much for helping us to really appreciate those 33 days in the hospital, how mental health was extremely
1: important. I wish that you never have to have an experience like that. I don't want you to be in the hospital for even one night. But... It was such a learning experience. And my gratitude right now is through the roof. My appreciation is higher than it's ever been. But also, I don't care as much about little things that used to bother me. Like being a stand-up comedian, whatever your career is, there are going to be things that get you down every day. You're going to watch people that have been doing it for less time pass you and get opportunities. And you're going to say, Why'd that guy get promoted? I've been doing the hard work here. And Cancer made me go, who... Cares. Am I out in the sunshine today? Just having a beautiful day in the park? Do I have good music on? Can I dance today? Yes, all of these things. Am I having a great time with a friend right now? Then why does all this other extraneous bullshit infiltrate my mind and matter at all? And I just feel myself just dripping negativity off of me. And I imagine it. I visualize during meditations. That all of this, I'm just vibrating with just illumination and radiation. Well, maybe not radiation because I never had radiation, (laughs) but that I am just like shaking all of the bad stuff out of me and knowing that this, I will be such a healthier person and a better person because of all this. Nobody asks, nobody wants cancer. But if you don't learn the lessons from your experience, then it was a complete waste. Of everything your money your time your resources your family your support whatever it is you have to take the lessons that you are learning i haven't processed all of that yet those 33 days i had to shove them down for the sake of my own survival and i couldn't deal with everything at that time but i know that it's coming where i will have to think about Everything that happened to me in there, every painful procedure, every horrible moment where I was wishing myself dead—all of these things—I have to deal with that because lessons are going to come for a long time, and I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't pay attention to those moments.
0: Love it, I love it, Alex. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I mean, it's just it's real life experience, and and I say when you get diagnosed with this something like cancer, it puts you on the front of the line of dealing with life, right? Because you don't know what the outcome is going to be, right? You don't know, but you want to find some peace and you want to find a place where you can illuminate and find a place where you go, I'm going to get past this and learning how to do that. And all of that is a process that you have to do right away. It's not like something that you can wait because the diagnosis is now and things need to happen. So, Alex, thank you so much for that, for, for giving us all of those gems. And so what I want to ask you, sir, is like, OK, so we've done six months of chemo. You get through that. You finish. The sepsis is behind you. Like what happened last? Like what took place after your treatments? Like what did they tell you? Yeah. So basically,
1: when I was finally, when I got out of that hospital, I was attached to an intravenous IV for the next. Uh, almost a month. So I had a month of having to wear a fanny pack and I was getting six doses a day of an antibiotic called oxacillin. So I was basically still very attached to this thing. And also when I first got out, I was so weak that I was on a walker. I couldn't put any weight on my right leg. I had to hop on one foot. And so I knew like, okay, physical therapy and occupational therapy do the work every day, whether the person's coming or not, because they would each come twice a week. I need to do these exercises on my own if not at least once a day then twice a day if i can so start all that finally we were able to get me off the antibiotics so i could get back on chemo and as soon as we got me back on chemo my oncologist said four more treatments that's it we're done and immediately when he told me that my wife looked at me and said where are we going and we went to japan so as soon as i was done we uh we booked our trip about two Two and a half months ago, we were there, uh, and I finished chemo at the beginning of March, had a PET scan, uh, at the end of March and it was clear cancer. And I, I I don't like to say that I'm in remission because they never use that word. I like to say that cancer and I broke up. It just wasn't working out. You know, (laughs) he, he was making me a much worse person and you don't want that from a relationship. So, Uh, April. Yeah, we left on April 10th and we were just in Japan for two weeks, uh, got back and I immediately filmed a set about having cancer uh, with Comedy Central. They were really interested in the story and. I was so ready for it because I had just spent two weeks traveling and, and through another dimension. I'd never I've been to a lot of places. I'd never been to Japan before. And it was a wonderful way for my wife and I to decompress and celebrate our love basically of the honeymoon that we never got to take because of all this. And I was so appreciative of the entire experience. I did no social media whatsoever. I did a full two week break. I didn't want to think about anything other than where i was and we were averaging i mean i told you december end of december i get out of the hospital i'm barely able to move we were averaging twenty thousand steps a day in japan for two straight weeks and i felt great the entire time i was just beaming And, you know, I'm a person I love to have experiences and I love going to concerts and live entertainment and seeing new places. And I'm never more present than when I am traveling. So to get that piece of me back where I could say, look, I don't I can go around the world and I can just discover who I am and live these new experiences. Nothing is going to get me healthier than doing stuff that I enjoy. And it was such a blessing to be able to get out there and do that and then immediately come back, you know, be able to tell my story just like I am here, but make it all funny into comedy. Cause it is not easy to walk on stage at a comic stand-up comedy show when people are expecting, oh, we got a babysitter, we're just going to laugh. And then I come out and I'm like, I have cancer, everybody, ready to laugh. <laughs> People are like, holy shit, is this real? And slowly I would break them open. I would watch them squirm a little bit and then really start to appreciate what I was talking about. Because cancer is ubiquitous. If it doesn't affect you, it will affect the person right next to you. And everyone is going to have to experience it at some point in their lives. And I really hope that by listening to me laugh about it, make jokes about it, that people maybe we're left a little easier, like with something like with information like that. And I'm still figuring out how to talk about stuff that happened to me in the hospital because I haven't processed all of it. But every time I go in and I think about it, something else unlocks inside of me where I'm not afraid to do this very challenging material and to really get in there and be as real as possible. I want people to know, That it's not a death sentence, even if they tell you it might be, you don't have to stop living your life the way you want to.
0: I love it. I love it. Alex, you're the man for that. I mean, I really appreciate you knocking down some of those some of those barriers, you know, some of those misconceptions about what cancer really is and to see you thriving and getting ready to do your own show. Man, you know, I'm just so, so happy to hear that. I'm um, not that I'm proud of you. It's just that I'm, I'm honored.
1: Well, you can you be though? <laughs> Nobody else is.
0: No, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, Alex? I, it's, it's, it's just a blessing to see how life sometimes turns. It turns around and look at you now. And so let me ask this question, Alex. Life before, while you had cancer, how is Alex different now than the Alex- it was before diagnosed,
1: I mean, I think the biggest thing is my I'm not stressing out about minute details of my life anymore. If I have a show, I'm not going, okay, you got to be ready. You got to be this. like, yes, I should be ready and I should be prepared, but I'm not putting stake into anything more than it needs to be. I'm just looking for opportunities where I can express myself and be myself and hopefully grow as a person. And that's going to take me just going slow. I'm not chasing anymore. I'm attracting people to me and I'm not just barking at them all the time and trying to be as energetic as possible. I'm trickling back into the world at my own pace. The biggest thing is that I told myself this year was that I have always been a hare and I run as fast as I can, just not looking at anything around me. I'm just go, 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 go. But the hare lost the race because he tired himself out. And I think that was cancer saying, hey, you're going really hard right now pull back, slow down. We're going to force you to do that. And that. my lesson from that is the tortoise was methodical. He was controlled. He was paced. And because of that, he ends up winning the race. Look around, enjoy everything. There is beauty absolutely everywhere. Immerse yourself in whatever environment you're in and continue to lift yourself up and others around you there is no limit for the amount of love that you can absorb or exude. So the more you take in, the more you can give out. And I have felt that wholeheartedly for years. But right now, it is extremely important for me to be as joyful and loving as possible. Because honestly, in the end, what else is life about other than the connections that you make with other human beings?
0: I love it. You know, that's, that's perspective for you, Alex. You've given us that, you know, helping us to see that don't let life pass you by, by just being one dimensional. Sit back and allow yourself to see the things around you, appreciate them. And that's what I hear you say. I hear you saying that, you know what, you're appreciating the things around you. You're taking your own pace and enjoying the journey of life. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was always a destination guy. You know, I'm always I was always just like, just get there because when we get there, everything will be fine. But it's not that I didn't enjoy the journey. I just didn't appreciate that it was the most important part of the process because you will learn so many things along the way. And like I said before, you have to take lessons when you go through something like this. And maybe for you, you say, oh, well, I always wanted to play the cello, but I never really had the time. Give yourself that grace to pick up a new hobby, to learn a new skill, to go somewhere where you've never been to reach out to a friend that you haven't talked to in years, whatever it may be that you it stays on the back of your mind and you don't do cancer will say, well, I better fucking do it (laughs) because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. I think a pretty long time, but then again, I never thought that I would get sepsis because I didn't even know what that was. (laughs) So yeah, turns out you can get things, you can be diagnosed with things, even if you don't know what they are.
0: (laughs) How true that is. Right.
1: Yeah. And it can be terrifying, you know, but again, like, Don't be terrified, sure, but realize there is still so much more that you have to give other than just being a cancer patient. You are still a mother. You're still a sister. You're still an artist. Whatever it is you are, you're not just a person with cancer. You're so much more than that. And if you believe that, then you will
0: thrive on the other side of all this. Love it. Alex, I'll tell you what, Alex Hooper, everyone, Alex, thank you so much for joining us here on All Talk Oncology. It's always, I, I can feel that light from you. I can feel that enthusiasm and, and, and the transparency 1000%. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Before we let you go, Alex, is there anything you would like to let the listeners know? In addition to what you've already said, is there something that you would like to let them know as they go on their cancer journey?
1: Um, if you do pee in your wife's office, please clean it up. Uh, I think that's extremely important, um, you know, to use, uh, actual facilities when you are losing your mind and almost on the brink of death. But really, I mean, just look, like I said, cancer is going to touch everybody. Right. And when someone has it, Don't be afraid to reach out to them, to ask them questions. Maybe they want to talk to you. Maybe they don't want to talk about it. But just give them that extension of your hand just to say, hey, whatever you need, I am here. You don't have to be afraid of me because there were definitely a few friends that – Tiptoed around me of like, because suddenly mortality is staring them in the face. And someone that was very healthy and just living an awesome lifestyle to suddenly be pulled back and have this diagnosis, I think a lot of people didn't know how to react to that. And that's fine. React however you need to. But the patient needs your support at that time. And if you can give it to them, however it is, writing a letter, recommend watching a movie with them. Whatever it is, find ways to laugh and know that it's going to get better because that is the most important thing. Have belief that you will get through it. Appreciate you, Alex. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kenny. Appreciate you too, man. I'm sorry your hair never grew back. It was really (laughs) unfortunate.
0: (laughs) You know, I'm still working on it. Still working on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> got to believe, dude. <laughs> got
0: to believe.
1: I can see myself in that thing. It's like a crystal ball. <laughs> Just it's got all the answers in there.
0: Come on. Come on. <laughs> what it's about, man. I, it was transparency, you know? <laughs> That's exactly right. Alex Hooper, everyone. Again, Alex, thank you for joining us here on All Talk Oncology. Here's where you'll find the latest and greatest when it comes to uh, cancer treatments different technologies, we want to make sure we cover that and bring that out to you. We want to make sure that we bring you the best and latest stories so that you can be successful in your cancer journey. Again, this is Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. Your Cancer Guy. Until again, I'm out. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.